Chapter Twelve of The Wind by Dorothy Scarborough. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Avai in September two thousand twenty one. Chapter Twelve. All hope that Lige and Sourdough had had of saving the cattle was gone. The last of the starved Longhorns had perished of hunger and thirst, and still the gods were not appeased. The heavens were heated brass, across which clouds drifted now and then, thin wisps of cotton down, or a trailing line like that of a seagull's wing, or a huddled mass like a flock of sheep. But they did not stay. Sometimes dark clouds banked themselves against the horizon and spread rapidly over the sky, while serpent tongues of flame flashed, and thunder muttered hope of rain while anxious eyes scanned the heavens and suffocating hope beat at the heart. But only a few drops would fall, and then the sun would shine as naked and as brilliant as before. The clouds would vanish as quickly as they had come, and the watchers would turn away in despair. The steady south winds blew, a bad sign in a drought, the range men said, and the sand seeped in at every crevice of the house, and it was patterned quaintly by the wind-freaks on the level plain. "'It will rain when the good God wills,' said old Pedro, over and over. September came, and the people of the plains began to hope again, faintly and fearfully, lest a thing so presumptuous as hope might offend suspicious powers watching them. September might bring rain. But early September blows from the south began, and the old settlers shook their heads. A bad sign, they said. The drought won't break yet a while. And it did not. The section was almost depopulated by now, for all the heartsick people that could leave had done so. Covered wagons had toiled across the plains, grotesque and tragic as seen in the clear atmosphere that revealed everything, the horses ploughing through the deep sand, the flap of the curtains showing poverty-stricken household goods piled awkwardly inside. "'You can see an old bedstead and a parcel of kids hanging out of every one,' said Lige one day. Letty watched the covered wagon with longing eyes. "'Oh, Lige!' "'Can't we go, too?' she said. He shook his head stolidly, though he moved restlessly in his chair. "'We got no money to go on, and nowhere's to go, too. Things are bound to take a turn for the better soon. If we can hang on and rattle with the old place till it rains, we can make it all right yet.' "'I don't know,' she quavered. "'You just wait and see.' he muttered, with dull defiance in the face of fate. Lyda's tall frame was thinner than it used to be, his face leaner, with haggard lines, and his eyes burned in their sockets. He was nervous, where always before he had been calm and controlled. At nights he would often mutter in his sleep, and sometimes would start up with an exclamation or a shout, then sink back to his pillow again with a shuddering heave of his big body. 
Letty felt frightened as she watched him. To think of his succumbing to emotion was like seeing a mountain shaken by some internal convulsion, was like watching a granite cliff writhe in pain. His strength had been as calm, as sure, as that of the stars. Physical suffering alone would never move him, she felt certain. He would have gone to the stake, have died of torture without uttering a groan, would have received a sheaf of arrows in his breast with no outcry. But his mental torment and suspense were proving almost too much for him, almost more than he could bear. Was it partly, or largely, because of her? Letty asked herself. Was it because he felt he had involved her in his fate, when but for him she might have managed some escape for herself from the toils in which she had been caught? What was he thinking of, in the long hours when he sat in silence and looked at the prairie? Her heart melted with pity for him as she watched his sufferings, his suspense, rendered all the more poignant because of his stoic silence and restraint. Then it would harden rebelliously as she turned her gaze on herself. Couldn't a man find some way of saving his wife from such torment? But I can't go away and leave my outfit, he explained to her morosely, time after time. This is all the start I got, all I ever been able to get in the world. If I pick up and leave it, I'm busted flat, and I won't have the heart to begin again. But you're busted if you stay, she importuned. It's bound to rain again one of these days, he rejoined stubbornly. And the fellers that had stuck by the land are going to have the best chanked. If only she had a family to give him a boost now. If only she had a home for them to go back to for a time. But she felt cut off from the world. It's like being let down by a rope into a deep well and having the rope cut, she brooded. She, who at home had been the sunniest of creatures, was moody, with alternations of emotion that frightened her when she stopped to think of them. At times she would be irritable, would give short answers to Lige, would feel that she must scream if anyone spoke to her or looked at her. Then again she would be plunged into despondency so profound that it seemed she could never climb up to spiritual peace and light any more, as if she were hopelessly sunk in a pit of darkness. Such a period of gloom might be followed by one of unreasonable exhilaration. She would tell herself, after the fashion of the old king she remembered from the Old Testament, surely the bitterness of death is past, surely good was coming to her round the corner of the next day or hour. Her spirit would walk on rainbow clouds, her whole body would tingle with inexplicable joy. She would put a ribbon in her hair and smile at Lige, whose patient eyes would light with relief to see her cheerful. But soon this exaltation would be followed by depression, by a lassitude of body and soul, so that she felt nothing, was a blank, swept clean of emotions as of sensations. 
they hoarded their precious drinking water which had to be hauled in barrels from the railroad they had to share it with Lyger's horse, and thus must be as niggardly as possible in their own use of it. So now it was impossible to keep clean, and Letty's daintiness revolted at the sordid grime in which she had to live. As she washed her dishes and cooking vessels with a minimum of water, she visioned to herself the clear, cold little streams in Virginia the full sweep of the yellow james river the inexhaustible ocean that pounded against the sand at virginia beach the thought of water became almost an insanity with her in her troubled dreams at night she was lost in a desert struggling in the deep sand her hands and face torn by mesquite thorns and cactus her feet full of the needles of prickly pear yet ever driven onward in her search for a water-hole. Deep water, into which she might plunge and be cool and clean once more. Water that should wash away the sand and the tears, and help her to forgetfulness of the horrid sights her eyes had looked upon. When she gazed in the mirror now, she was startled. Instead of the laughing girlish beauty that had once been hers, a creature almost unrecognizable stared back at her, a woman worn and faded, with tragic eyes. Her yellow hair, bleached by the sun and made brittle by the dry winds, had lost its soft waves, and instead of rippling back from the forehead girlishly, was strained back like that of an old woman. Her skin was sunburned and rough, her cheeks were sunken and sallow, and her eyes, no longer blue as periwinkles in an old-fashioned garden, were inflamed from the wind and sand, drawn in from constant shrinking from the glare, and faded from weeping. And still the wind blew. The wind had robbed her of her beauty, her youth, her hope, she muttered to herself. Would it some time take away her reason or her life? It shrilled round the house by night, as by day, or was it the wind that she heard as she lay awake to listen to the shrill, incessant, relentless sound, the wind or the keening coyotes? In October in Virginia she would be walking through the golden leaves, with the amber sunlight all about her. She thought of the evenings tranced with moonlight that broke in silver spray over everything, or with a silky blackness lighted by myriads of little gold stars above, and the nervous twinklings of the fireflies against the dark. A mocking bird might pour his song at night, freighted with a thousand, thousand loves and griefs and ecstasies. There was a mocking bird at home that came back each spring to her garden, a bird with a broken wing that drooped, so that she could know for certain it was the same. But he was as jaunty, as careless, as if his wing were whole. His song was like iridescent bubbles that shimmered in the sunlight, that floated from his pulsing throat with joyous lightness. Letty realized that her homesickness was more for nature than for people, 
since if she went back home she would be too proud to reveal her sufferings to her friends even the most kindly her pride would cut her off from their sympathy but she could fling herself upon the grass in some secret woodland place could give herself to abandonment of grief and feel no shame in the presence of the trees the birds the grasses they would comfort they would heal without hurt to her proud soul she lived a dual life she saw at once this sun-scorched plain this waste of sand whose heat rose in shimmering waves that dizzied her those leafless mesquite bushes the dead swords of the yucca the bleaching bones of the cattle gaunt carcasses where coyotes skulked and buzzards perched as hideous as gargoyles and then she saw a far-off land a gracious smiling country where pine trees were like great altar candles lifted toward the stars where magnolias opened their waxen petals in lovely curves to show their golden hearts where yellow jasmine climbed up into the trees to shake its laughing golden bells of perfume where every dead stump every post was softened and made beautiful by the grace of some wild vine she listened to the coyote's yelp with eager straining ears she heard the shouts of hunters in virginia the summoning horns the deep-toned musical baying of the foxhounds as they started off to begin the sport she saw the late flowers all in a mirage that her own will called up the tall irises blue and white by the old flagged walk in the garden each particular spot of that old garden she revisited to live over its beauty of leaf and bloom the lilac bushes against the brick wall that in the spring were a mass of scented purple fit for a king her bed of johnny jump-ups that lifted piquant saucy little faces fresh with dew the violets that edged the flower-beds the lavender the old-fashioned flowers each in its place she would think that perhaps it was raining in virginia she could see the silver arrows falling straight and true or else the veils shaken a little by the wind but oh a gentle wind or else a gossamer gauze of luminous grey that misted the air while the sun still shone she thought of flowers springing up beneath the moisture of tall ferns in shadowy glades of damp rocks green with lichens she could hear the purling of brooks over rocky beds of little leaping waterfalls of murmurous rivers running to the sea rivers of living water it was autumn in virginia the colored boys would be raking up the fallen leaves and burning them in fragrant pyres scent of leaves burning in the crisp air magic like nothing else a whole litany of memories was in the thought nuts would come pattering down in woodsy stillnesses while squirrels would whisk away with their winter stores gray squirrels or red squirrels saucy and chattering and timidly friendly apples would be garnered albemarle pippins 
wine-saps, juicy and with red cheeks, cool to the touch. As the leaves fell, the grace of the limbs would show stark against the sky, with a beauty of line that no work of man could match, while the unchanging green of pines and cedars told of another spring. Here there were no trees. Was hell just a place where no trees grew, no birds sang? Hell was a place where the winds blew all the time, winds that tormented you but would not let you die. Winds that drove you almost crazy, but didn't let you know the relief that complete insanity would bring. Demon winds. Winds of the summer were bad enough, but Letty shuddered daily at thought of the winds that winter would bring. I don't see how this house would stand in a big wind, she said apprehensively to Lige one day in the autumn. It won't blow over, because it's got so many cracks the wind goes right through, he told with a gallant attempt at jocoseness. But it's got no foundations, Lige, just a rock at each corner, and one in the middle of each side. Well, we are sort of short of rocks, he conceded. And that's the way we have to build our houses out here. Of course, I admit that a house that's just boxed and stripped ain't so waterproof as one that's weatherboarded. She looked dubious. Some of these days, a hard wind is going to knock it over. Some of these days you shall have sure enough house. You know the high-toned folks in these West Texas towns think they are aristocrats if they got a weatherboarded house and a cistern instead of a water-barrel and a fence round the place. I miss a fence, she mourned. I feel lost without one. Well, we got a windbreak, ain't we? She looked at the windbreak he boasted of, a short stretch of fence made of rough timber and slabs, to keep the merciless winds of winter away from the horses. Sand had piled against it like snowdrifts. You could bury a steer in that sand pile, remarked Lige, if so be you had a steer left to bury. Don't you reckon the cattle you sent away will live? she asked to turn her mind away from the present. Sure, he said with unconquerable hope. That'll give us a start come spring. Seed cattle, you know. By now, Letty was too deadened to feel the hungers that had so hurt her in the beginning of her life on the plains, the longings for things of the mind, for books, for music, for magazines, for easy talk of trivial interests and pleasures, for social interchange of happiness. All that her senses craved now was ease for the body, surcease from the pelting sand, the wind that was at her all the time, and for cooling water in plenty. Still the buzzards floated in the blue, their cumbersome bodies loathsomely well-fed. Still at dusk the eerie shapes and shadows flitted across the plains that were so empty by day. Each day the golden gauze still hung between her and the sun. 
her mouth once a childish adorable mouth with its kissable cleft in the upper lip was a thin tense line far off she saw sometimes a solitary horse and rider or now and then still a covered wagon toiling across the sand back toward the east toward virginia perhaps in virginia soon winter would be coming a jovial hearty well-protected winter with its warmth and companionship of hearth-fires its well-stored harvests its still loveliness of woods where holly trees showed their bright berries against the snow and the everlasting green of pines and cedars showed abiding life in texas too out on the plains the winter would be coming on a winter with no healing snows no green reminders of the spring a winter where lean larders would grow leaner where a land already lonely would be more desolate almost as empty of people as the cupboards were bare of food in the deserted ranch shacks along the way when coyotes would hide in abandoned dugouts that once had been homes when not even a covered wagon would be seen crossing the plains when the wind would blow harder than ever against a frail structure when the sky would be darkened suddenly and the northers would come wild stallions of the plains swift and terrible more than living in their might diabolic in their cunning the woman shuddered as she thought of what it would be like to hear again their ghostly neighing in the night wild figures would go sweeping over the prairies their manes flying their hoofs striking fire from the sand their voices freezing one with fear and perhaps a cyclone would come a vast whirlwind that spiralled to the sky that would leave destruction everywhere it passed oh if one were buried deep in the grave would one still shudder and writhe when the wind blew she felt that the wind read her thoughts knew all the emotions that she concealed even from her own soul the wind slipped invisibly behind her all the time could foreknow her actions because it knew her thoughts even before they came into her mind maybe the wind sent them there word roddy had been able to read her mind and now the wind did too who gave them both that uncanny power did each know that the other had it she must be doubly careful since the wind was so wise she drove back impulses chaotic dimly felt primitive out of her consciousness as she would have frightened away a flock of marauding birds from her flower garden at home the autumn was gone and still no rain had come letty counted the days off on her calendar each day a cycle of hours that brought winter nearer one day lige said i think it'll not be long before we have a norther why letty asked cold at the very thought perhaps if she refused to think of winter winter would not come 
Lige was shoveling the sand from the floor, where it had seeped in beneath the window during the night. A broom would mean too slow work. Letty stopped her dishwashing to watch him as a hand stole to her heart. Oh, I don't know. It just sort of feels like a norther. Old-timers can generally tell, one way or other, though they can't always know how they tell. If we had any cattle left, we could know by the way they act. How? she asked quickly, and then wished she hadn't. It was pain to hear any mention of cattle now. They kind of bunch together with their backs to the north. Animals can tell when hard weather's coming, better than humans can. It's all the protection they got out here on the plains. Humans haven't that much protection, have they? She asked bitterly, almost without realizing what she said. His shovel clattered to the floor, and he turned sharply on his heel. He spoke no word, but his tight-lipped silence smote her. That night, as she lay awake, listening to the wind as it keened around the house, she started nervously. She heard other sounds, curious, coming from a distance above them, it seemed. What could it be? She shook Lige jerkily. What are those noises I hear? She cried, her voice sharp with fear. Just a wind, he muttered drowsily. No, above us, like birds, but there aren't any birds. His head lifted to listen for a moment, then dropped back to the pillow. Them are wild geese honkin'. They're flying south. Sign of cold weather on the way. Will it be soon, Lige? She asked breathlessly. I reckon so. They generally move that away some time ahead of the cold snap or the norther, he mumbled. He turned over and sank back into sleep. She lay there, her mouth stifled against the pillow, to keep back her sobs while her slight body shook with sobs. Winter coming so soon. A norther. From the north the wind was coming, a terrible stallion satanic with flying mane and hoofs of fire she lay wide-eyed until the dawn came then she saw through her eastern window a miracle of colors when the great ball of fire that was the sun lighted the sky to glowing rose and amber and crimson when the streaming clouds were like banners of battle flung across the heavens and the prairie became not a dead expanse of sand but a hazy stretch of shimmering opal colors gray and gold and mother-of-pearl the sky filled with floating sand was like cloth of gold the light irradiating in every direction even her pain-dulled senses quivered to a worship of beauty as she gazed she felt again, what she had scarcely thought to experience once more, the wounding bliss of perfect beauty. Who was it that had told her to look at the prairie some morning at sunrise and think of him? 
that day letty's nerves were on edge because of her sleepless night tautened by her fear and tensed although she did not realize it by her electric prescience of the approach of the norther she could not have analyzed her sensations but she only felt that she might fly into little bits at any moment toward noon there was a strange stillness in the air the wind had lulled and since there was no living creature near the house now except lige's horse to make any sound the silence of the plains was oppressive appalling letty felt as if the whole world were holding its breath to hear what she should say should think for she had something she must try to say to lige it would be hard but she couldn't keep it back any longer he sat in sombre silence by the window and looked out across the prairie where his cattle had once grazed his far-off gaze fixed on infinity filled with inscrutable things when she opened her mouth to speak to him her tongue quivered impotently she came toward him at last with a plate in her hand and a cloth that she was using to dry it perhaps if her hands were busy with something she could find it easier to speak lige she began and then stopped yeah he lifted heavy lidded eyes lige couldn't we go away from here his face hardened where to oh i don't know anywhere in the world just away from here her hands shook but her mouth set firmly this is the only house we got we can live here for less than we can anywhere else till things get right again she took a step nearer in her eagerness but why couldn't we go to some town till spring lige other folks do it we got no money to pay rent no money to move our sticks of furniture with nor to buy any more towns round here are chock full of families that have left their land and they got no work for more i don't want to be a drifter and where's a cow-puncher to get any work now his tone was harsh though he was holding himself in hand with effort she could see that his nerves were ragged too perhaps because of the wind but she could not spare him pain and fear made her selfish in a way she felt pity for this haggard unshaven man sitting slumped there in the chair in his dirty shirt and leather trousers but she felt still more pity for herself an instinct of self-preservation drove her on then lige if you don't want to go can't you let me go somewhere till spring she faltered her heart pounding with fear at her audacity her whole frame trembling he shot an astonished look at her where to he grated i don't care anywhere in the world except here on these plains she cried with passion he shook his head morosely i ain't got no money you know that 
Couldn't you borrow enough for a ticket for me, Lige? He stared at her out of his heavy-lidded, inflamed eyes, as if he saw her for the first time, and then he laughed raucously. <laughs> there ain't nobody I know well enough to be on borrowing terms with that's got any money now to lend. This section's near about ruined all round. Nothing real here now but debts and drought. Her voice rose shrilly, tensed with its determination. Couldn't you sell something then, Lige, so's you can send me? His chair grated on the floor as he sprang up, roused by her ruthless insistence. What in hell have I got that anybody'd want to buy? His scornful gaze swept the room with its poor meagerness and his own shabby clothes. I haven't got no cattle left here, not a hide nor hoof, as you well know. You wouldn't low a cowpuncher would sell his horse or saddle or gun, would you? Her face whitened under his anger, but fear made her stubborn. I've got to go, Lige, somehow. I'm just bound to go. Why? He jerked, trying to maintain his calm. His glittering eyes were fixed on her face as if to wrest her secret from her. I can't stand to stay here this winter, Lige, I tell you. I just can't stand it. So you can't take the hard legs? His voice was scornful. She defended herself eagerly. It ain't that, Lige. Honest. I'm scared of the wind. Her hand made wide gestures as of a wind sweeping across the plains. Wind? That all? Huh? I don't mind the being poor so much, nor having to work, nor being lonesome. It's the wind. It sort of gets me, Lige. It near drives me crazy. I can't stand another winter of it now. Oh, if only he could see, could understand. His body gave a nervous jerk, expressive of the restraint he was putting on himself. You got to stand it. There ain't no way out of it as I can see. His stiff-necked refusal to grant her plea angered her so that she gestured vehemently, and the plate dropped to the floor. "'I won't face it! I won't!' she cried stormily. Her words dropped into an abyss of silence, as startingly as the plate had crashed to the floor. Even the wind was hushed. She saw Lige's tall form towering like a giant's, his face livid, his hands working. You think too damned much of what you won't stand, and not enough of what I've got to stand, he cried hoarsely. She reeled back as if he had struck her in the face. What have I done? It's what you haven't done that counts. Instead of standing by the man you married when he's having such a hard time, you mope and whine and want to run away. Quitter! He spat his words at her. What could any woman do in this fix? She shrilled, aghast at him and at herself. What has Cora done, for instance? 
Look at her. She's boosted Biff and chirked him up through this hard time, and kept him alive by her spunk. You think she's got the temper of a hell-cat, and so she has. You hate her. But by God, she's a better woman than you are. She has stuck by her man. The veins on his forehead stood out swollen and purple, and his throat moved convulsively. Then some insane instinct of self-defense, of anger that he should put Cora above her, tore from Letty's sentence she would have given much to recall. But she loved him, and I didn't love you. She shrank back, appalled at the look on his face. If only she could take back her words. His face grew dark and terrible, like the bleak sky before the norther comes, when the storm is gathering, ready to strike. You married me, not loving me. You lived with me, not loving me. She huddled against the wall, unable to speak. She couldn't lie to him, however much she longed to take back her words. She nodded her head, mechanically. She couldn't lie to him about a thing like that, even if he killed her. He struck his forehead once with his open palm. Christ! What sort of a woman are you? Then, without another word, he snatched his hat and coat from their nails against the wall. He jerked his saddle from its corner and flung open the door. She saw him catch his horse that stood shivering behind the windbreak, saddle him and mount him. Then, without even a backward look toward the house, he dug his spurs into the horse's flanks and lashed him into a run. End of chapter 12